Book Four, Chapter Eight of the Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood, Book Four, Professor and Prophet, eighteen seventy to nineteen hundred, Chapter Eight. The Recall to Oxford, eighteen eighty two to eighteen eighty three. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. This Brantwood life came to an end with the end of eighteen eighty one. Early in the next year, he went for change of scene to stay with the Sevens at his old home on Herne Hill. He seemed much better and ventured to reappear in public. On March the third, he went to the National Gallery to sketch Turner's Python. On the unfinished drawing is written, "Bothered away from it, and never went again. No light to work by in the next month." An artist in the gallery had been taking notes of him for a surreptitious portrait, an embarrassing form of flattery. He wrote, "No." I won't believe any stories about overwork. It's impossible when one's in good heart and at really pleasant things. I have a lot of new things to do, but the heart fails after lunch, particularly. Heart and head did, however, fail again, and another attack of brain fever followed. Sir William Gore brought him through and won his praise as a doctor and esteem as a friend. Ruskin took it as a great compliment when Sir William, in acknowledging his fee, wrote that he should keep the cheque as an autograph. By Easter Monday, the patient was better again and plunging into work in spite of everybody. He wrote, "I was not at all sure myself till yesterday whether I would go abroad." Also, I should have told you before, but as you have had the sorrowful news broken to you, and as I find Sir William Gore perfectly fixed in his opinion, I obey him and reserve only some liberty of choice to myself, respecting not only climate, but the general appearance of the inhabitants of the localities. Where, for antiquarian or scientific research, I may be induced to prolong my sojourn. Meanwhile, I send you to show you I haven't come to town for nothing. My last bargain in barrows with a little topaz besides. But the journey was put off week after week. There was so much to do: buying diamonds for Sheffield Museum and planning a collection of models to show the normal forms of crystals, and to illustrate a subject which he thought many people would find interesting if they could be got over its first difficulties. Not only Sheffield was to receive these gifts and helps. Ruskin had become acquainted with the Reverend J. P. Fonthorpe, principal of Whitelands College for pupil teachers. And had given various books and collections to illustrate the artistic side of education. Now he instituted there the May Queen Festival, in some sort carrying out his old suggestion in time and tide. Mister Arthur Seven designed a gold cross, and it was presented 
with a set of volumes of Ruskin's works, sumptuously bound to the May Queen and her maidens. The pretty festival became a popular feature of the school, patronized by royalty, and Ruskin continued his annual gift to Whitelands and kept up a similar institution at the high school at Cork. At last, in August, he started for the continent and stayed a while at Avalon in central France, a district new to him. There he met Mr. Frank Rondel, one of the artists working for St. John's Guild, and explored the scenery and antiquities of a most interesting neighborhood. He drove over the Jura in the old style, revisited Savoy, and after weeks of bitter bites and dark weather, a splendid sunset cleared the hills. He wrote to Miss Beaver, I saw Mont Blanc again today, unseen since 1877, and was very thankful. It is a sight that always redeems me to what I am capable of at my poor little best, and to what loves and memories are most precious to me. At Annecy, he was pleased to find the waiter at the Hôtel Verdun remembered his visit twenty years before. Everywhere he met old friends, and saw old scenes that he had feared he never would revisit. After crossing the Suni and hastening through Turin and Genoa, he reached Lucca, to be waited at the Albergo Liale dell'Universo by a crowd, everyone anxious to shake hands with Signor Ruskin. No wonder, for instead of allowing himself to be a mere number so-and-so in a hotel, wherever he felt comfortable, and that was everywhere except at pretentious modern hotels, he made friends with the waiter, chatted with the landlord, found his way into the kitchen to compliment the cook, and forgot nobody in the establishment, not only in tips, but in a frank and sympathetic address which must have contrasted curiously in their minds with the reserve and indifference of other English tourists. At Florence he met Mr. Henry Roderick Newman, an American artist who had been at Coniston and was working for the Guild. He introduced Ruskin to Mrs. and Miss Alexander. In these ladies' home he found his own aims in religion, philanthropy, and art, realized in an unexpected way. Miss Alexander's drawing at first struck him by its sincerity. Not only did she draw beautifully, but she also wrote a beautiful hand, and it had been one of his old sayings that measle writing rather than measle painting was the admirable thing in medieval art. The legends illustrated by her drawings were collected by herself through an intimate acquaintance with Italians of all classes, from the nobles to the peasantry, whom she understood and loved, and by whom she was loved and understood. By such intercourse she had learned to look beneath the surface. In religious matters, her American common sense saw through her neighbors, saw the good in them as well as the weakness, and she was as friendly not only in social intercourse but in spiritual things with the worthy village priest as with T. P. Rossetti, the leader of the Protestant Brethren, whom she called her pastor. 
and ruskin who had been driven away from protestantism by the poor wardensian at turing and had wandered through many realms of doubt and voyaged through strange seas of thought alone found harbour at last with the disciple of a modern evangelist the frequenter of the little meeting-house of outcast italian protestants one evening before dinner he brought back to the hotel at florence a drawing of a lovely girl lying dead in sunset in a little notebook i want you to look over this he said in a way but not quite in a tongue with which the usual manuscript submitted for criticism was tossed to a secretary to taste it was the true story of ida written by her friend an appointment to meet mr e r robson who was making plans for an intended sheffield museum took him back to lucca to discuss romanesque mouldings and marble facings mr charles farfax moray also came to lucca with drawings commissioned for st john's guild but ruskin soon returned to his new friends and did not leave florence finally until he had purchased the wonderful collection of one hundred and ten drawings with beautifully written text in which miss alexander had enshrined the roadside songs of tuscany returning homewards by the monsigny he stayed a while at talois a favourite haunt extremely content to be among romantic scenery and able to work steadily at a new edition of his books in a much cheaper form of which the first volumes were at this time in hand he had been making further studies also in history and alpine geology but at last the snow drove him away from the mountains so he handed over the geology to his assistant who compiled the limestone alps of savoy supplementary to Ducalion as he could not as he would while ruskin wrote out the new ideas suggested by his visit to Citou and saint bernard's birthplace these notes he completed on the journey home and gave as a lecture on cistercian architecture london institution december the fourth eighteen eighty two in place of the previously advertised lecture on crystallography he seemed now to have quite recovered his health and to be ready for re-entry into public life what was more he had many new things to say the attacks of brain fever had passed over him like passing storms leaving a clear sky after his retirement from the oxford professorship a subscription had been opened for a bust by sir edward bowen in memorial of a university benefactor and the model now in the sheffield museum was placed in the drawing school pending the collection of the necessary two hundred and twenty pounds the oxford university herald in its article of june the fifth eighteen eighty no doubt expressed the general feeling in reciting his benefactions to the university with becoming appreciation it was natural therefore that on recovering his health he should resume his post professor now sir w b richmond the son of his old friend mr george richmond gracefully retired 
and the oxford university gazette of january the sixteenth eighteen eighty three announced the re-election on march the second he wrote that he was up the old man yesterday as much as to say that he defied catechism now about his health and a week later he gave his first lecture the st james budget of march the sixteenth gave an account of it in these terms mr roskin's first lecture at oxford attracted so large an audience that half an hour before the time fixed for its delivery a greater number of persons were collected about the door than the lecture room could hold immediately after the doors were opened the room was so densely packed that some undergraduates found it convenient to climb into the windows and on to the cupboards the audience was composed almost equally of undergraduates and ladies with the exception of the vice-chancellor heads of houses fellows and the tutors were chiefly conspicuous by their absence i omit an abstract of the lecture which can be read in full in the art of england the reporter continued he had made some discoveries two lads and two lasses who could draw in a way to please even him he used to say that except in a pretty graceful way no woman can draw yet now almost come to think that no one else can this statement the undergraduates received with gallant if undiscriminating applause to many of his prejudices mr ruskin said in the last few years the axe had been laid he had positively found an american a young lady whose life and drawing were in every way admirable again great and generous applause on the part of the undergraduates stimulated no doubt by the knowledge that there were then in the room two fair americans who have lately graced oxford by their presence at the end of his lecture mr ruskin committed himself to a somewhat perilous statement he had found two young italian artists in whom the true spirit of old italian art had yet lived no hand like theirs had been put to paper since lippi and leonardo three more lectures of the course were given in may and each repeated to a second audience coming to london he gave a private lecture on june the fifth to some two hundred hearers at the house of mrs w h bishop in kensington on miss kate greenaway and miss alexander the spectator shared his enthusiasm for the pen and ink drawings of miss alexander's roadside songs of tuscany and concluded a glowing account of the lecture by saying all professor ruskin's friends must be glad to see how well his oxford work has agreed with him he has gifts of insight and power of reaching the best feelings and the highest hopes of our two indifferent generations which are very rare with much encouragement in his work he returned to brantwood for the summer and resolved upon another visit to savoy for more geology and another breath of health-giving alpine air but he found time only for a short tour in scotland before returning to oxford to complete the series of lectures on reasoned english art 
during this term he was prevailed upon to allow himself to be nominated as a candidate for directorship of the university of glasgow he had been asked to stand in the conservative interest in eighteen eighty and he had been worried into a rather rough reply to the liberal party when after some correspondence they asked him whether he sympathized with lord beaconsfield or mr glaston what in the devil's name he exclaimed have you to do with either mr disraeli or mr glaston you are students at the university and have no more business with politics than you have with rat-catching had you ever read ten words of mine with understanding you would have known that i care no more either for mr disraeli or mr glaston than for two old bagpipes with the drones going by steam but that i hate all liberalism as i do beelzebub and that with carlyle i stand we two alone now in england for god and the queen after that though he might explain that he never under any conditions of provocation or haste would have said that he hated liberalism as he did a mammon or belial or moloch that he chose the milder friend of akron as the true exponent and patron of liberty the god of flies still the matter of fact glaswegians were minded to give the scoffer a wide berth he was put up as an independent candidate in the three-cornered jewel and as such candidates usually fare he fared badly the only wonder is that three hundred and nineteen students were found to vote for him instead of siding in political orthodoxy with mr fawcett or the marquis of butte at last a busy and eventful year came to a close at coniston with a lecture at the village institute on his old friend sir herbert edward december the twenty second his interest in the school and school children was unabated and he was always planning new treats for them or new helps to their lessons he had set one of the assistants to make a large hollow globe inside of which one could sit and see the stars as luminous points pricked through the mimic vault of heaven painted blue and figured with the constellations by a simple arrangement of cogs and rollers the globe revolved the stars rose and set and the position of any star at any hour of the year could be roughly fixed but the inclement climate of coniston and the natural roughness of children soon wrecked the new toy about this time he was anxious to get the village children taught music with more accuracy of tune and time than the ordinary singing lessons enforced he made many experiments with different simple instruments and fixed at last upon a set of bells which he wanted to introduce into the school but it was difficult to interfere with the routine of students prescribed by the code considering that he scorned the three r's a school after his own heart would have been a very different place from any that earns the government grant and he very strongly believed that if a village child learnt the rudiments of religion and morality 
sound rules of health and manners and a habit of using its eyes and ears in the practice of some good handicraft or art and simple music and in natural philosophy taught by object lessons then book-learning would either come of itself or be passed aside as unnecessary or superfluous this was his motive in a well-known incident which has sometimes puzzled his public once when new buildings were going on the mason wanted an advance of money which mr ruskin gave him and then held out the paper for him to sign the receipt a great deal of hesitation and embarrassment ensued somewhat to mr ruskin's surprise as he knows a north countryman a great deal too well to expect uh, embarrassment from him at last the man said in dialect and mum put my mark he could not write mr ruskin rose at once stretched out both hands to the astonished rustic with the words i am so proud to know you now i understand why you are such an entirely good workman end of book four chapter eight recording by cheyenne arrowsmith